Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. We are just in the last part of Ephesians 4. Just looking at Ephesians 4.30 through 5.2. So this morning I want to bring your attention to only five verses. It's a short passage. But it contains in it a very full summary of Christian faith and Christian life. And it contains three powerful motives to godliness. These verses, I believe, are of central importance to Ephesians and really to the whole Bible. And I hope that the truth of these verses will always be on your mind. I would encourage you to memorize some of them. You can keep that truth everywhere you go so that you can't even consider who you are without remembering what these verses teach. This is God's word. Please listen carefully. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God, as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Amen. Lord, we ask that you would apply these words to our hearts, that you would help us to receive them with faith. We pray that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit says to your church In Jesus' name, amen. Paul's letter to the Ephesians reminds us that God saved us. But beyond that, it shows us also that God saved us for a purpose. And that purpose reminds us of why he created us in the first place. You and I were made to be image bearers. You don't just have God's image. You are God's image. We are made in God's likeness. When God created man, he said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. You were made to be like God. Now, of course, We cannot be like God in every way because he is holy and there is no one like him in many senses. We can never be infinite or all-powerful or to know everything in every way it could be known the way God does. We cannot be in every place like God. But we are made to reflect many things about his character. However, Adam's fall into sin ruined us. It turned us into a ruin. 
I don't know if any of you have ever been to Athens or to Rome and you've walked around the broken down forums, you see the stones on the ground and you can only imagine what, what did this used to look like? What was it supposed to be? There are still the remnants of some of it. Some of the glory remains, but like a, like a ruin or like a great painting that has been taken and just shattered into a million pieces. And if you can put some of the pieces together, you can kind of figure out like a puzzle what it was supposed to look like. You are still God's image. Everyone is still God's image, but in a shattered, ruined way. We can only see the smallest glimpse of what we were meant to be. But God sent his only son into the world to redeem us, to buy us back, to build up that ruin into a temple, to build us into the body of Christ. And you see, if we are Christ's body, whose image is it that we are being restored to? It is to his image. We have God's image. We have his DNA, so to speak, spiritually. We are to be like him. And God has plans for us, for you, to make us better than Adam and Eve ever were. A few verses ago, back in 424, Paul said, Put on the new man, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So God's work to restore us into his image means he's making us into a new creation. That's what he says in 2 Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And so because of what God has done, we are to walk a new walk. And God himself, we see here, is our model. He is our savior and he is our model. Jesus Christ came not just to rescue us, but also he shows us what the image of God was supposed to be. He is not ruined. He has not been shattered. He is the perfect representation of the invisible God. Now, what we have in these verses is a a small reminder of all this. In these verses, God is presented to us as a motive for godliness and as the model for godliness. So brothers and sisters, this morning, I ask you to consider him. Fix your eyes on him. Think about his character. Think about his work. Think about what he has done for you. Consider how he has suffered for you. Consider how he is now at work in you and all the plans that he has for you. All these things are laid before us in these few verses. I mentioned that there were three powerful motivations given to us here for godliness. And those three are the relationships that we have with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. All three of these relationships are brought to our attention in this short passage. Let's consider them now in the order that Paul has written.
First, verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What a sobering thought that is. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. He can feel sadness. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. But we can cause him grief by our actions. On the one hand, this this fact teaches us that the Holy Spirit is not some impersonal force. He is a person. He's not simply some power. And that's a good point for us to consider, but I want your heart to consider this too. He can feel grief. And that means that he must care very deeply for you. You know, at funerals, no one is more grieved than the family members because they love the most. And the Holy Spirit you see here loves you. He loves you very deeply. And he has plans for your good. But he can be grieved. So the Holy Spirit has that closeness of relationship with you that when we go astray, when we disrupt the unity of the Spirit in the church, he is grieved. I want you to consider here what great things he has done for you. Verse 30 says that by him you were sealed for the day of redemption. Back in the beginning of this book, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, Paul wrote, In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You were sealed with him. He himself is the seal. When you began to believe, when you were given faith, that is at the beginning of your Christian walk. But in this verse, we also see the end of the Christian walk too. We are sealed for the day of redemption. So this looks back to the beginning of our walk. It looks towards the the purpose, the end. The Holy Spirit, you see, is with you from the very beginning to the very end. Every step of the way, he himself is the seal. He marks us. He protects us as God's own, God's own possession, God's own creation. It is not without meaning that we baptize you at the beginning of your walk with the Lord in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that you belong to him. His name is on you. He is not just a father, not just a Holy Spirit with us in name only. He is our guide and our teacher and our comforter from the very beginning. And he is guiding us to a wonderful destination, the day of redemption, when we will be finally, completely set free. That's where he is leading. That's what he has sealed us for. But you see, we often go astray. We don't keep in step with the Spirit and the way he's leading us. Now, imagine if you are a parent and your dear children begin to go astray in self-destructive ways, how that makes you feel. You're grieved because you love them. And it breaks your heart to see them destroy themselves. 
That's what sin does to us, though. It destroys us. It ruins us. And its end is death. And this grieves the Spirit deeply to see you fall in sin because he loves you so. Brothers and sisters, do you love him too? Then do not grieve him. Remember that he dwells in you. Your body is his temple. That we belong to him. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. So remember the Holy Spirit. If someone of great importance, uh, like a president or a king, or someone were to come to your house, you would, you would, I would tell my children, or my, my parents would often tell me, be on your best behavior, which is their kind way of saying, act like you got some sense for once. <laughs> so we, we try to be on our best behavior when someone as important is there. Someone important is always there for you. The Holy Spirit, this glorious person, is there. And we are called to live before the face of God every moment. To not forget that when you sin, he is there, still united to you. So we are called to remember that we are his, that he indwells us that we have been bought with a price. Remember also his love. Remember that even now he holds you fast and it is his desire to bring you to Christ and to lead you to the Father, to, to pray with you when you don't know the words to speak, to help you cry out and to know that God is your Father. And to cry out, Abba, Father. Those who are led by by the, led and follow the Father are the children of God, those who are led by the Spirit. So remember that in your striving against sin, he is not there simply to observe you and to watch you. Like, I don't know, big brother, always watching us. He is there to help us. He is there to comfort us. He is there to give us strength that we might walk in his ways. Now, the next two verses remind us of some of the things that grieve the Holy Spirit. Paul focuses here on things that harm peace and unity in the church. Back in chapter 4, verse 3, he called us to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The fruit of the Spirit is also peace. So therefore, we must put off all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and all malice. I'll let you consider each of these things on your own, but you see they're all kind of on the same subject of this hatred towards your neighbor, especially those who are in the church. Some of it is inward, like bitterness. Some of it is outward, like wrath. Some of it is destructive in a roundabout way, with slander and things like that. But please consider this. Some speak of our inner emotions. Some speak of fighting. Some speak of our plans to do evil to one another. This has no place, brothers and sisters, in our lives or in the church. Instead, God calls us to kindness. Kindness. 
And don't you know that the fruit of the Spirit is also kindness, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. You see, we are called to be like God. And this verse says that God in Christ has forgiven us. He has shown us this great kindness, this tenderheartedness that we are to feel. So we are to forgive each other in the same way. Now we are all sinners and we will all hurt each other and annoy one another at times because we're broken. Even the person that you love the most, your spouse, you will annoy and uh, he or she will annoy you as well because we're all sinners. We need grace in God's, to have any relationships with anyone, really. God has given us grace. He has forgiven us. So take your eyes off of your brother or sister's sin for a moment. And look back at the cross. There you see at the cross one who has forgiven you for far more than, than, than anyone has ever done to you. If you struggle with this, with your bitterness, with having a hard time forgiving others, keep looking at the cross. Keep considering that love. And you will grow in Christ-likeness. You will see, if you look at the cross, and remember that this is not what your neighbor deserved only. This is what you deserve. That there was no other way for you to be forgiven. That anything less than the death of the Son of God, than him suffering hell for us on the cross, wouldn't have been enough for you to be saved not the most powerful angel or all of the angels together could have ever saved you. Nothing less than the Son of God. There is no way for you to consider that and be proud. There is no way for us to see that and to think that we don't, that we shouldn't have, we shouldn't also forgive one another for the little things that are done to us. Consider Christ's love, his sacrifice. Now, the second motive for godliness that I'd like you to consider comes from our relationship to God the Father. Chapter, one, chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. I said earlier that I... I I wanted you to remember these verses wherever you are, that you wouldn't be able to think of who you are without thinking of the truth of these verses. Because these verses tell you who you are. You are God's beloved child. Not just his child, his beloved child. We are called to be imitators. We are his family so what is our relationship to him? He is our father, and we are his children. Back in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul wrote about what you used to be. He said you were children of wrath. 
even as the rest. But God in Christ has forgiven us. He rescued us and adopted us. It doesn't use the word adoption here, but back in chapter 1, it does. It says, in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. So we who were children of wrath through Jesus Christ are now the children of God. And notice, Paul doesn't simply say that we, were, we are children. He says we are beloved children. God the Father loves you. You remember when, when Jesus was baptized and the heavens opened up, the Spirit of God came down like a dove and rested on the, the Lord. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. You who are in Christ, he is well pleased with you also in him. He loves you. So remember this. God the Father dearly loves you. And what a good father he is to us. How merciful he is. He has adopted us. He has not been ashamed to put his name on us, to call us his own. He has given us a family. He has given us a heavenly home. And yes, he has crowned us with loving kindness. And we, he disciplines us too because he is loving father. As a, as a loving father, he should. For we are his beloved children. That's the relationship. So then what are we called to do in this relationship? We are called to imitate him. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Isn't that, though, the most natural thing in the world for children to do? They imitate their parents. They want to walk like their parents and talk like their parents. The children, are, they always have their eyes on you. They're always watching, learning. It's quite amazing. I remember many times I would be in Taiwan and I would be holding one of my children, calling for a taxi. And I would look down, and my child, who is like no bigger than Leah is now, would also have the hand up, calling for the taxi, imitating me, just watching what I was doing and doing it, or how often I'll stand a certain way, and then I turn, and I see them standing right next to me, looking at me, making sure they're doing it the right way. It's very natural for children to imitate their parents. That's what we are called to do. That's what you are called to do with your loving Heavenly Father. And this means, though, that you must keep your eyes on Him. You must keep watching Him. There is no way for you to know how to imitate Him if you don't know Him, if you're not thinking about Him. So we must observe Him very carefully. Now, we cannot see Him. He's invisible. But we have in Scripture an account of his character. We see it in so many ways. And we must pay attention to him carefully, to what he says in Scripture, what he does. So think about it. Think about your heavenly Father. What does he like? What is he like? What does he love? What does he hate? What, what does he delight in? What does he sing about? See, we must know him in a personal way. And that is what the Christian life looks like. 
Godliness flows from knowing him. When Moses would be in his presence, his face afterwards would shine. Not only that, this made him the most humble man on earth. It's amazing. We think, how could Moses really write that? But it was true. He had been so close to God, closer than anybody else. There's no way to be humbled better than that. That's when you see what you really are. So we must spend time with him, speak with him, spend time in prayer with him. Don't come to him just because you have a specific need that you think you have and you're praying that he will fix this thing. You have a huge need, and that is to be sanctified. That is to be made like God. And so we do that when we pray. We're in his presence. We're spending time with him. And we walk away transformed. Whether or not you get the thing that you were asking for, God is working on you when you spend time with him. Spend time in his word. So Christians, consider your heavenly father's character. How his works, what they are, how he has treated you. Consider these things. Keep your eyes on him. Imitate him. Now, God has given us more than just his word to show us who he is. He has given us his son, who is the exact representation of the father. Do you want to know what God the father is like? Keep your eyes on Jesus. He's just like Jesus. Jesus, in fact, told his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father's character, you see, is just like Jesus' character. And so if we want to imitate the Father, the best way to know him, the best way to live like a child of God, is to look at his child through Jesus, knowing him through Jesus. No one comes to the Father but through him. And so Paul quickly, almost seamlessly moves from calling us to imitate God to calling us to imitate Christ. So he says, therefore, and walk in love as Christ loved us. This is our third great model and motive for godliness in this passage. Our relationship to God, the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. So you see it here in verse 2, which contains really the whole Christian life and Christian faith in summary. Walk in love. That is a summary of the Christian life. Just as Christ loved you and gave himself for us, that is a summary of the gospel. That is a summary of the Christian faith. So consider memorizing that. Reflect on it. You are God's beloved children, and you are called to walk in love just as Christ loved you. So, you see, we are surrounded by God's love here. The Spirit loves us and has sealed us. The Father loves us, and in love he has adopted us. The Son loves us and laid down his life for us. Isn't that amazing? Read it again, slowly, consider it. Christ also loved you and gave himself for us. Do you believe that, brothers and sisters? Can you say that? Not just that Christ died for sinners. Can you say, like Paul did in Galatians 2.20, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me 
and delivered himself for me. He loved you and died for you as if you were the only person on earth. Is that not a powerful motive to godliness? But you see, it is also our model of godliness. How do we imitate him? We walk like him. We walk in love just as he has loved us. We forgive others as he has forgiven us. So you see, this is a sacrificial love. It is a costly love. Christ did not just say, I love you. He came and he rescued us at great cost. He gave his life for us. And we ought also to love one another. We are to give ourselves for one another. For God so loved that he gave. Christ so loved that he gave. It wasn't taken from him, his life. He offered himself freely. He laid himself down as an acceptable sacrifice to God for you, for all who come to him by faith and in repentance and receive him as their Lord and Savior. And this is the whole foundation for godliness. Jesus Christ loved you and gave himself for you as an atoning sacrifice for your sins. And now we are being transformed into his likeness. We are being called to walk like him, to take up our crosses and to follow him. That's what it looks like to be a disciple. That's what it looks like to be a child of God. In this, God is helping us too. He has given us his spirit. So sometimes when we think of becoming a child of God, we think of it as adoption. And that's true. But if I were to ask you, are we adopted or are we born as God's children? The answer is both. We are adopted, taken away from being children of wrath, but we are also born again. We are born again by an imperishable seed, it says in 1 Peter. So it's not just that we are put into this strange family and we're trying to figure out how to be like God. His spirit is at work within us, causing us to grow. The same spirit that was in Jesus Christ has been given to you, helping you to walk in his ways. Later on, we'll be clothed with the same armor in Ephesians that Jesus had. The same equipment that Jesus had. So God is, is, God is helping you every step along the way, holding your hand, as it were, helping you to walk like him. And Christians, the Spirit loves you, even though we've so often grieved him. He has sealed us for the day of redemption, and you will get there. And that is a comfort. He will see to it. Christians, the Father has adopted you as his beloved children, even though you were formerly children of wrath. Christians, the Son has loved you so much that he freely offered his life for you. How should you respond? We must walk in love 
as he loved us. We must forgive as he forgave us. And I remind you, he loved you with an everlasting love, a costly, sacrificial love. He has not forgiven you for one or two sins, but millions of sins. Do you believe that? Jesus said, he who has been forgiven much loves much. Jesus forgave you much. Let us love much. Let us imitate God. That is what you were created to do. That is what you were redeemed to do. That is what we are being saved to do. So let us return love to God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and let us walk in love with one another. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your love, for your instruction. Thank you for Jesus Christ, who not only saved us, but showed us what being a child of God should look like. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, who we have so often grieved. But we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be transformed by him, that we would have the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness flowing from us through the life that he supplies. We pray, Lord, that you would help us this week, help us to walk in your ways, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, our dear Heavenly Father. We pray all these things through the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.